So I'm here today with uh, Mark Darby, who generally likes to be known as Darby. Um, I think you started yoga. Was it yoga or did you go to Mysore first in 1979? Mysore. Uh, I started practicing yoga and was in Mysore in 1979. Same time. So a bit of a while. Um, four, four years. You, when you went there, you stayed there for four years, first of all, right? I stayed uh, four or five years. So we stayed two years, went to Australia for one year, and then went back to Mysore for two more years. Wow. And then, then went to Canada. And that's where you started latterly, more recently, the Satva Yoga in Montreal, which you're no longer teaching at, but you're now in Costa Rica, right? Well, I'm, I'm based everywhere. I'm, not, I don't, I'm, I'm in Costa Rica now because of the, yeah. the virus, otherwise I'd be doing other things. Yeah. And certified to teach uh, by Batavi Joyce in 2000 or something, I think. Would have been 2002, <laughs> I think, somewhere, 2001. I'm not sure. I can't remember the exact date. It was yeah. in the early 2000s. Yeah. I think one thing that always intrigued me about your story is that you did this intensive and reached a, a level and then you, you know, kind of became a householder for many years and stopped playing, you know, started playing golf and stopped, you know, stopped doing yoga. And then you came back to it later in life, right? Like, what, what, when did you get back to doing yoga again? Uh, probably 98. I, I stopped I slowly, gradually. I stopped from when we went to Canada in 84. And then I was, you know, I had to get a day job. I had two children and yeah. needed to make money. At that point, it was not... Uh, there wasn't many people doing yoga, so I wouldn't have been successful as a teacher. Um, the teaching experience that I'd had wasn't very good. So I, I, the only way I knew how to teach was what I'd learned from Tatava Joyce, mm. and um, which is very intense. Yeah. And you know, so um, I didn't know anything else. So I was teaching that way and instead of having students come, they were leaving. So, so you had like a you know, I remember. I remember I had a class of 30 students, so a friend of mine was teaching, he asked me to substitute teaching for him for a month. So at the beginning of the month, I had 30 students. By the end of the month, I had four. So it was... Well, I'll come back to how you change your methods, like how you change your teaching methods in a second, but let's just backtrack for a second. And how did you... It's an interesting story how you came to Mysore in the first place with walking. With, weren't you, didn't you walk across the whole of whole of Goa at least? Or not, you didn't walk. Why? Well, well, these are whole bunches of stories. But uh, I had been in Sri Lanka and uh, we were going to a pilgrimage to a festival. And the last part of the festival, the last part of getting there, we had to walk. And those thousands of people walking, and it was a very special feeling. And so then I was in Goa and I was decided to go to Gokana. And Gokana was Shivaratri and I was going to go to the festival with Shivaratri. So I decided to walk. So I, I walked the whole coast of Goa and Kanataka until I got to Gokana. Yeah. And then you didn't, how did you get to my, you didn't walk to my as well? Basically, I, no, we didn't walk, but I hitchhiked. Right. Okay. To my from that, from that point. Yeah. Yeah. So you came to Mysore in 1979, um, and what was it, I mean, just can you tell people kind of what, what it was like then, what was your experience of arriving and 
obviously different to what people... Well, when I arrived, I said, now, now's the time I'm ready to, to practice yoga. You know, yeah. I, I didn't want to start before because uh, I wanted to get a goer and do parties. So that was over. I said, now I can, I can do yoga. And the hotel I left my possessions in was Cliff Barber or Old Cliff. So he's, you might know him from the Cliff Barber who lives in Korea. And so I met him and here I am ready to find a teacher. And he said, come and meet my teacher. And the teacher was the garbage was. Right. So, um, so I met him at his first uh, teaching as you sit and watch. So you spend the first day just watching the class. You make a decision on whether you're going to practice or not. Yeah. And so the decision was that um, I was going to practice. <laughs> and so I, stay, I practiced. When you first saw it, and how many, how many people were practicing there and what were your first impressions of, of it? Uh, there were five people. In the room? In the room. There was uh, an English guy with his French girlfriend, a German guy, Old Cliff. So it was only four, I think. Four. Yeah, I was. I turned out to be the fifth, so it was four. I don't think people realise how kind of literally small the group was originally that was being taught, you know? I mean, just... Oh, it was the most we had, which we thought was very crowded, was when we had eight people. Eight people in the room. Eight people, we said it was too crowded. So this is the old Lakshmi Purim, so... People who have been there know that now there's 12 people crowded in. And, but eight was, yeah, it was okay. People was crowded at the time. And now I think, yeah. I mean, you haven't seen the new space, but I think that that is more like 1,200. I, I mean, probably. I mean, well, I, I've, yeah. I've seen some photos. It's just, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's what it is. Yeah. How, how, I mean, obviously the teaching is less, um, a lot less, Full on and intense, and obviously less contact and instruction, perhaps you know, or personal attention than it used to be. What were your like original um, experiences of, of being taught? How how did how um, days? Well, at some some stages there was only two students, because Joanne and myself we were the only two students. And Guruji would maybe go out for a cup of coffee, but he stayed in the room, and right, yeah, and, and he would sometimes fall asleep on the chair, yeah, which I would look at and say, maybe he's going to stay asleep. I can get through the posture without an adjustment. But he always woke up and he was there and made me adjust. Right. And probably he would make me do it again anyway so he could adjust me. So, and he, just his presence, um, you know, we, we had a kind of, uh, he, for us he was the guru. He was the teacher mm. and we had respect for the teacher and we just did our best for him. Mm. And, but the personal attention was there. Right. Sure he was there. Just, just his presence. And how did your... And his, his adjustments were quite intense. Yeah. Can you say a bit about how, how you adjusted or, you know, how your progress went with, with, the, whole, with the whole of your four years there when you, when you went there, first of all? Well, I'll say after the first two years was... Because, uh, because we didn't know. You know, we had no comparison. In my saw, the only comparison we had was when somebody like David Williams would come or somebody come from America and they would practice. And generally they were pretty good. There wasn't that many people coming. Before that point, you never knew. 
how so when you say comparison, you didn't know how other bodies were being taught or how they looked. I had no idea. We just thought this was normal, and we didn't realize how much we progressed, um, how right. advanced we were in our practice. We thought everybody was like that. And you were, you did get quite, you did get quite uh, developed in practice. You did get quite advanced quite quickly. Basic, basically, after the four years, we were doing six series. Um, <laughs> the series were a, a word different. Yeah. They were only available. They didn't call it six series then. They just called it advanced. And he and the series that Joanne and I received was different to anybody else. I don't know anybody who had the same series um, in in the advanced. It was minor or some things were different. But when I've seen photos of uh, the six series, I've pretty much done most of those postures and some postures were not in the six series. Right. We we were given and, and some of the postures we weren't. So it was a, it was a pretty intense break. Oh, that's fascinating. So, so you had you practiced through primary and intermediate series, roughly as they are. Is that right? Were they the same? They, those uh, intermediate was a little change, right? Uh, in, in the Capota Center series with Karanga Basana, that was a little different. We used to put Scorpion was in there, uh, so that was there. That was taken out. Uh, some slight modifications in the postures, but pretty much the same thing. Right, and then advanced was there were just a whole bunch of postures that he kind of bespoke chose for you personally as a you know as your series. Yeah, really, it was you know they're very similar, but that was a different order. So them, and as I said, some of the postures uh, we were given some postures were weren't there, but basically everything from those six series was there. Right. But you had a different series to Joanne, your wife, so... Um, pretty much it kept us at the same, doing the same postures. The changes happened when uh, Joanne got pregnant. Right. So okay. when she got pregnant, then he was taking postures away and uh, doing more meditation postures, more sitting. And for me, it was a pleasure because he gave me more handstands. He did all these handstanding postures, so arm balance. And walking, I was walking between the mats on my hands in the class. And You're happy with that? Oh, I was having fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, and you had, just, to, just for the record, you met your wife there. Is that, that correct? And you had your first son or two children you've had in Mysore? We had, no, we had one in Mysore, one was in Gokhan. But, right. Uh, both were both were conceived in my school. But um, no, Joanne arrived. Joanne arrived. Joanne arrived one week after I did. So, and, and, and was it was it Joyce the matchmaker between you two? He basically did it. Yeah, he were he was he had a house that um, Joanne was staying. So she was staying in the house. It was next to it was behind the shower, a little alley behind the shower. This is where he used to live. And so he was renting it out. It had one large room, a, a courtyard, with a tap we could have a bath and a toilet and a kitchen. So it was, it was pretty, it was roomy. Um, but I'd been in Mysore staying in this hotel where I met Old Cliff. And then I took a break after learning primary. I took a break. And when I came back, I asked the Tarpa Joyce if he knew someplace that was closer. Mm-hmm. Um, with some family or some something cheap. And he said, wait, wait, wait. So he then approached Joanne and said, Joanne, or oh, Darby is, uh, she, is she 
reminds me, he said, Darby is a good man, but he has no money. So <laughs> he, he stays with you. <laughs> so I basically, he asked me to go and sell Joanne if he could stay in the same place, same house. Uh, but as I said, there was one room. Right, okay. So the, uh, naturally one thing led to the next thing. Um, yeah, well, all this time. Yeah, one long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably not so much energy, but um, uh, time. Um, so, going like backtracking to the start of a conversation, you said you uh, first of all when you started teaching, you were teaching the Batabi Joyce method. Can can you just talk about how your methods has changed or how your approach to teaching has changed uh, from from the beginning to now? Well, it's an it's an evolution. So even from the alignment point of view, I've changed. The way I work with alignment, I'm working very much with um, Thomas Myers' approach to anatomy, which is coming from anatomy train. So you know that Thomas Myers. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm working. So that's working with meridians. Uh, so um, works very much, very well with Chinese meridian. Um, so I've incorporated that, and so my working with alignment is more to do with energy flow and connection. Connection of body parts, right? You know, the whole body as a whole, not just as smaller units, smaller muscles. And it's kind of frustrating because I can't really. I wish I could practically show show people how you do this because it is fascinating. I mean, can you give a, an example of that to make it clearer for people? And you say meridians, or you say energy. Uh, the whole body is a connection. Well, it's uh, meridians. You call it, could call it nadis. Maybe people yeah, understand yeah. that nadis. In Chinese, they work with meridians. Example of so a posh. Well, I was thinking very when I was instructing someone today about uh, Virabhadrasana A. Um, how how would you how would you, like just how would you cue that to give people some idea? Um, basically, reach back with the back foot and reach forward with the fingers, and then make an arc to come up. So the connection is coming from the back foot to the fingers. Right. And then you just connect everything in between and and, and just extend where you need to go. So there's one body connection. One body connection, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe yeah. if I make some videos and that's what I'm working with when I'm yeah. teaching. Oh. I was teaching how to understand that. Do you... Do you um... Do you put the breath in there? How does the breath go in that? Oh, the breath is the most important part. Uh-huh. You know, it's, 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 you know, the way I'm teaching the breath is it's, it's not just inhale, exhale. It's a continuous pendulum. Mm-hmm. So, you know, quite often my teaching is I'm just going inhale, four, three, two, one, exhale, four, three, two, one. And that just continues through the whole practice. And, that, and that's the way I practice. You know, right. Continually counting in my head this rhythm that goes on. So yeah. this is everything. This is every movement. Yeah. Jumping I, back. I've spent a bit of time with you, but I've kind of I've enjoyed that. And I know, you know how like so I'm just trying to give kind of like the listeners a better idea of how you how you just so they're exposed to your method of teaching, which is fantastic and, and quite unique. Um, how, what about like a, just one more example of a forward fold and the inhale and the exhale? Does that make a mo- different movement in the forward fold, or um, or is it just because often people get into a posture like Paschimottanasana, they keep just static as if they're rigid in the posture? Would, it, um, would you? How would you cue that? Is it? Oh, like, 
if you listen and read Yoga Mala, Tabu Joyce gives a cue. He says, first come to Dandasana, which he describes. So Dandasana is a solid foundation. And then he says, pull in the lower abdomen, lift the anus. As soon as you're doing this, you're connecting to the bandha. Then he says, exhale. And what people don't do is keep the bandha. They keep the bandha and then bend forward and reach, not just pull, but extend. The whole body shape's going to just fall into the right place. So you don't just pivot from the hips. It's... Um, you know, again, look at Yoga Mala, look at his passion, Motan Sana and Yoga Mala. Mm. Or if you're lucky enough, you may be like I am, I have photos of the Gabi Joyce in postures and Krishmacharya. You, you had photos of Patabi Joyce you took yourself in postures? No, no, it's old photos. Oh, no. That would have been great. Yeah. Um, lucky I have them. Um, but even if you go to Yoga Makaranda and have a look at Krishnacharya and have a look at his body position, he's not hes not like a pancake. He has the, dance, the lower of the bundles. He's bending forward. So, so you teach him more approach? Oh, for sure. For sure. Mm. Definitely not. You know, not pivoting from the hips. Yeah. You know, this yeah. is a... This is, for me, is a Western gymnastic dancer type of learning to stretch from health industry, not from, not from yoga. Yoga was always Dante and uh, lowered from Banda, Patabajoy, Banda, Banda, Krishmacharya, Banda, bent forward. And somehow we lost that and went to ribs forward and bend. And I think people see that as an elongation of the spine, don't they? And I think we're kind of encouraged to kind of elongate, elongate, as if a, like a straight spine, you know, is always a, you know, the best scenario, right? But the spine both bends in both directions, right? It kind of yeah, goes. well, uh, if you're looking for extension of the spine, yes. a rounded spine is more length. Yeah. And again, look at the approach from Thomas Myers in the anatomy trainings, and you'll understand how the connections work. Mm. And if you're going with this straight back, you've actually lost funding. You really got funding anyway. Um, and kind of progressing from there, if, if you could say what makes a good teacher, or you know, there's so many teachers out there these days. Um, you know how, and you know, and you're trying to kind of get the the, the best teacher for the student out out of the whole uh, the huge. Uh, possibility of different teachers what what should someone look for these days it's not easy to find you know to, if you don't know well, a lot of people don't know a teacher they just like them because of personality which mm. is which i found um you know you're gonna have a teacher that's first one who's still a student teacher should be a student you should be always which which i'm always doing i'm always trying to find better ways of explaining what I'm teaching, how I'm doing it. Um, teachers should be able to see in a person's body when they're doing something wrong. This right. is very important. Because, and try and, and get people to understand and work and teach them in a way that they can feel the difference. How do you know um, what's wrong, though? How do you know? That's what I'm saying. A good teacher can look at somebody and see it straight away. Right. I I look at people's videos. In fact, that's how I started. I told you I was making videos for China. Yeah. Uh, One of my students sent me a video of her doing Sarayana Muscar, showing me her practice. And I just immediately picked on it, thought it went went wrong, and decided to make 
a video to send her Can you to give show her the correct way. Yeah, give an example of, of that, that correction. Um, well, she was bending forward. Right, okay, forward. Doing the forward tennis and then just taking the and her legs were bending. Right. So she's bending her legs. So that meant there was her legs bent because there was contraction of the hamstrings. She felt it in the hamstrings. When you work the correct method, you won't get this contraction. So if you're working from the dantian around the back, it'll be one continuous flow and the hamstrings will lengthen. So this is the first thing they saw. And they were thinking of upward dog and other things. But her breathing was very good. That's one thing she did do. She right. had to breathe. And I think that hamstring work that you do is different to other people. I mean, I saw a video of you, I think, with Stu Girling a while ago. When yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Working with the hamstrings, and so many people get the hamstring injuries in Ashtanga Yoga, and it's so unnecessary. Um, can you, for the listenership, just briefly explain that you, uh, you're, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, you, you, <laughs> you're, you're dealing with the hamstring, so you don't get the hamstring injury. Yeah, well, even the, the, the person that was demonstrating in that video had a hamstring injury. Yeah. And, and then, by, by correcting yeah. the body and having the right connections of the body, the hamstring doesn't need to get involved. It doesn't need to get contracted and be lengthening. So we should never um, contract muscles in yoga. It's not something we want to do. We want to yeah. lengthen muscles, engage them, but lengthen them. I, I remember so if you with something like use the whole of your leg or reach the whole of your leg or and it seems so simple um, you know it's just, that's a simple thing to say but it really um, it really works well, it's, it works but I've even extending that I'm saying use your leg from your diaphragm so right. I reach out from the diaphragm now to, to lengthen because many people reach for leg but they reach from the groins and that that already cuts the line in the or cuts the meridian line, cuts the energy line. So that does need to reach more. Mm. In fact, you want to reach from your fingertips, reach your fingertips and see how the connections happen. And um, but people are often resistant as well because you teach, if you've got a hamstring injury, you often say, I think, like push through the leg and, and don't bend the leg, but people usually want to protect the well, first off, first off, I have to teach him how to engage the leg. Right. You know, which I do, which when I'm doing, having workshops, if somebody has a hamstring injury, they're the first, first person I get to, sh- to demonstrate. I have them with a hamstring injury, do it, they feel it. And then I teach them the method of working, and then they generally can go down without any hamstring injury. I go down when they don't feel it. And so for me, it's the best teaching for them because if they continue to bend forward, of the correct method, they can keep the leg straight. They won't feel the injury in the hamstring. But as soon as they have the wrong technique, they'll feel the hamstring. So they have to hey, step back. Then, as we call it, the plasticity of the mind, the changing of the mind and the neurological connection with um, nerves and will gradually change. So you'll learn how to do it the correct way because you have somebody teaching with every time you do it. And so your body will change. Can you give a small tip for someone listening with a hamstring difficulty? Is there anyone <laughs> obvious that they can use to uh, help their situation? Because it is a very frustrating and very so, limited injury. Watch that Stu Girling video. Because <laughs> 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 that's... Stu Girling is lovely. You're going to ask me um, if 
video with Derby for the hamstring. Um, the other thing I was going to ask you is that the second most common injury, or maybe even more than a hamstring, is the knee. What can um, you say anything about knee injuries? And should we look? Should we stop doing anything with the knee and take out Lotus altogether, or keep working through it or in it? Or I would again. There's um, probably a wrong technique. Someone pushing too hard. Um, again, people again contract muscles. And from the contracted muscle, the pulls tightness in the knee, and then they pull it. Once it's injured, I would say, I wouldn't say rest it. You want to work it, but just don't go deep. Just let it bend. Um, you know, I had injured my knee in my sore. Very, I'd, I'd torn, yeah. torn the ligament. And in fact, I still don't have a ligament. And Gurdjie um, told me, don't do any knee bending. And he just gave me one posture with knee bending, which was about a constant. Right. And that took a good, you know, a good two months before I got back into Lotus. Slowly, slowly, I, I did. So it's a slow process. But if you continue to push it, it's not going to heal you. But you healed. You healed fully from that, did you? No, I'm healed. But it's, <laughs> it's, there's, no, there's no ligament in my knee. It's just my body ad adapted to it. Right. But I think you've subsequently gone on to do advanced knee bending postures, right? So. Oh, yeah, I still, I got to do everything again, but maybe I shouldn't if I kept doing, <laughs> doing everything. <laughs> to that end, what, what, I mean, how's your, I mean, it's probably an obvious question for you, but how has your practice evolved over the years? Um, obviously, you were very, you know, if everyone's seen um, videos of Derby uh, only a few years ago, and I used to do a handstand press for your birthday, didn't you? Uh, often, so very... well, I, I, the last one I did was in India, and I was eating a lot of food, so I could only go up once. <laughs> I didn't get the up and down, so but, uh, now I still can go up, come down and lift again, so. I'm still still doing a handstand every day. Incredible. And what? How? Um, you don't mind? How old are you now? Uh, seventy-one. Se no, you're seventy-one. You're kidding me. No, no, seventy-one. Oh my god. That, I mean, I, yeah. Um, that's yeah. That's incredible. Um, so what's it? Well, you know, I mean, I've I've watched and um, many a year. What kind of stuff are you doing now? How has the practice evolved? for you now? Well, it's, the worst thing about um, traveling and teaching is that you lose practice time. You don't have a consistent practice. So that kind of takes it away. You stop doing advanced posture. So that happens. Just getting older is, is more difficult as well. So, you know, I'm still practicing, but I just don't do the series anymore. I do a bit of primary. I do some intermediate. I do some advanced. Some do postures I like. But what I am doing is still breathing. Mm. So everything I'm doing is doing with breath. It's very much concentration on slow movements with Banda. So it's more of a, a, a that type of practice. Not, I'm not worried about trying to do the deep postures and going as deep as I can. And yeah. back then, it's just going deeply, enjoy it, find comfort in the posture and breathe. I can remember you saying to me years ago, I'm not doing all the jump backs because I'm doing it with effort now. I'm not doing it under anymore. Something like that. So you, I was kind of impressed by the fact that you said, well, it's actually now it's just for my shoulders and it's, you know, it's brute force. I'm just taking them out and I'm not doing it all. Right? Oh, 
I can't remember, but I still kept doing jump backs when I was practicing. Now I don't do them all. Right. So, but, um, but, you know, I'm, my practice now is basically I'm doing a lot of pranayama. So that's what my important practice is. Oh, you're working with another teacher, right? In, uh, in a teacher from uh, Govardhan, his name is Shalendra Sharma. Right. So and very- he's coming from Kriya Yoga, which his technique is very, uh, technique is quite um, advanced. It's advanced technique. It's also very intense. So, yeah. thank goodness I did a stanga. Definitely worth checking out anyone who's interested in Kriya Yoga, Shalendra Sharma, and from Gokart, no, from where, where did you say? Govardhan, Govardhan, Govardhan near, near Vrindavan. He's a, yeah, he's an unusual character, isn't he? Um, but Quite unusual. You can, he's got a website. So yeah, you can check him out from there. And, and that's Kriya Yoga. So that's, that's Pranayama and um, different um, Kriyas, like the one with the tongue, right? Um, he's still doing... Kachari Mudra. Yeah, Kachari Mudra is the first thing you learn. The person yeah. who teaches you. You're given a very, very simple Pranayama, which was quite intense when we were learning it. But once you learn Kachari Mudra, then he gets into the deep, heavy practice, which is intense practice in Pranayama. So it goes even more intense than that. And the Kachari Mudra, for people that don't know, is turning the tongue so it, it, yeah, it goes, goes into back. the throat up and up towards the third eye. Right. So you try and touch the third eye, but going inside your throat. So you can actually do alternate nostril breathing. With the tongue? With your tongue. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Can you do that? Yeah. Oh, my God. I yeah, think so. Hmm. Right. And yeah, then to, to, to take it, it down it, from the quite esoteric, you, you also learned the pranayama with Batavi Joyce, didn't you? The, the... This I learned. I didn't really practice it. Um, again, I probably tried to do it too hard. At that stage, I was the you know, same as in the Stana practice. Um I was pushing very hard, pushing, pushing. And so with the pranayama practice, I was doing the same thing. Instead of being more, hey, be more relaxed and being less intense, but you can do more. So it was, it was difficult. difficult. So, I mean, knowing that you were quite, um, quite ambitious with it, how did Batavi Joyce respond to that? Because he's well known for cutting people back and stopping people in practice, but he, he let you go on. Uh, when we were learning from him, we were given a posture every week. Every week. Posture, every week. So we learned primary series in uh, three months. It took me to learn primary series. Yeah. Joanna took her another three months to learn intermediate. I was left for a month, so when I came back, it, he quickly caught me up to Joanne, so it took me two months to learn intermediate. And then we were learning advanced, uh, as I said, a different series, but a practice generally a partial week. So basically in the first two years, our practice was primary, intermediate, and advanced every day. So my practice was... Once a day, once a day, not... Because I remember David Swenson, I think, saying he used to practice twice a day, right? Yeah, and then, then it was only once a day. But it was a three-and-a-half-hour practice. Three-and-a-half hours, right, okay. And Joanne was four-and-a-half, but she would spend one hour on her head. So an hour headstand. Hour headstand, yeah. Why did he, I mean, I'm kind of, that's well known that he gave Joanna an hour headstand. Why did, why did he give that to her again? Or she wanted well, he, it? 
No, he was just having us stay on our head and then um, he would, in headstand, you'd lift up. Remember, after you've learned intermediate, then you learn to lift up yeah. uh, and, and take your head off the floor. Doesn't seem to be taught. The lift up doesn't really seem to factor in anymore. Well, it's generally, then it was only taught for people who learned intermediate. So it's, it's yeah. not for beginners, it's intermediate. Mm. And so she couldn't lift up. So he would have her in headstand, then he would come and lift her up. And he just started leaving her there longer and longer. So, And then she was doing 30 minutes. And then one day he totally forgot about her because he had a phone call from America and just excitement. And he came back one hour later and she was still there. So she said she can get to the understanding that Joanne's quite stubborn. And she wouldn't come down. She didn't over time, but she stayed there until he came. And when he came, he said, oh, one hour. Oh, so now you do every day. So that's how she got to do one hour headstand. So she, then she just continued it from there, thinking that... Yeah, continued it, yeah. yeah. Um, you also have a kind of a, like a funny anecdote of when you were doing the handstands and, uh, and that you'd put extra handstands in the practice and then at a point you stopped doing them because you were too tired and that's the only time when he said very good, you know, Patabi Jones... No, no, no. When he said very good was when I was doing upward dog, I would do double dips. I'd do press an upward dog, lift, and then push my pelvis forward again. Yeah. And, you know, I was trying to loose, loose my back up. And, yeah. so was, and then one day I didn't do that, and he said, oh, good. Right. So that's when I knew not to do it anymore. Now, the handstand thing was when I, after the two years we went to Australia, and I had uh, read in light on yoga that my anger would do stand-up after a backbend. Yeah. To do a backbend and then stand back. And so I wanted to try that. So in the backbends I would stand up. But then I realized I wanted to do the flow, so I would do, I'd do a drop back and then flip again. And so I ended up by doing in my Surai Namaskar in the series, I would lift up the handstand, do a drop back, Flip back up the handstand and then do chaturanga, up the dog, down the dog. So that was the way I was working. Okay, that was tolerated. No, when I I did that in Australia, when I went to India, back to Mysore, I did it for like three days and then Guruji said, You don't do any more. So so, uh, I didn't do it anymore. Uh, um, And then when I did do it again, um, I and I, I just had a quick memory the other day. I was on the beach in Goa and we were doing gymnastics, like we were doing flips. And I, I think I crunched my back. And so in my practice, the next day when I was doing these flips, I herniated my disc. Oh. So, so that kind of was a good experience. Yeah, that set you back a little bit. Um, well, I couldn't move. I couldn't. I couldn't bend down. I couldn't bend forward. It was. It, it took a couple. It, it was an, quite an experience because what happened was I totally stopped. I took. I couldn't do anything, so I didn't do anything. I didn't try and do anything, and I healed within a couple of months or less. Mm. And when I see people who have herniated this and they try to practice, they, they really take a long time to heal. So. Rest. So for me, anybody who herniates it is just take complete rest. The exercise that I was doing was swimming because we were in Gokana, we had the beach. 
So I was swimming every day and that kept me healthy. So, Well, that ends, it just strikes me. Is there any other kind of good information that you pass out like that for someone that has, you know, I mean, people come up with all kinds of complaints and, you know, and they don't know whether to practice or not, whether to rest or anything well, else. Well, first off, find out what you're doing wrong. Yeah. That's, that's the first thing. What, what, what are you doing that's not aligned correctly or you're pushing the wrong way? Well, maybe um, find out what that is. Maybe you don't know and you're just worried to push more. You don't know whether to keep going or whether you're... Well, you're just doing something the wrong way. Mm. If you don't have the knowledge of your body, uh, then you can keep pushing and you're not going to, you know, you're going to hurt yourself. I I was teaching in Russia and we were doing backbends. And I was teaching to keep the buttocks, you know, firm but soft. And these couple were saying, no, you've got to have tight buttocks. You've got to have tight buttocks. And no, no. And they both had back pain. And, you know, it was like, well, you got back pain, but you're saying they tighten the buttocks to protect your back, but you're in back pain. So why don't you try something else? I think that's... So after after the weekend they tried and they realized that, you know, they were doing the wrong techniques. So that's that's where I... You're teaching it. That's how it got me because it's experiential. I mean, you can, you know, a lot of people have ideas and information, um, but what you say actually works. So that's what hooked me because you experience the benefit of it. Even I mean, you know, it kind of makes sense in the head, but then you actually practice it, and it kind of makes actual sense in the body. Well, that's what I do. I'm making, hmm. you know, I've, I've learned all these different techniques of how can I teach it, and it's yourself, um, or did you? Um, did you get them from other places, you know? Or Basically, just... um, yeah, that's just evolving. And I worked with somebody from Ianga for a while. Yeah. Learned a lot of stuff. But this stuff I'm working on now is just it's experimenting, having the understanding of what I'm teaching and working with bodies, seeing how my teachings, they don't understand it. So how can I teach them to understand it? And, um, you know, just, just, you know, the way you do virabhadrasana, if you tense in the wrist, you're going to tighten up your chest. Mm-hmm. So many people doing upward-facing dog push deeply, really hard from the wrist into the floor. All the muscles in the front of the chest tighten. They can't roll the shoulders back. So there's <laughs> yeah. eventually they, so have, they have problems. I think you kind of pushed a lot at the start, right? You When you started practicing, you mentioned, you know, kind of pushing a lot. Did, oh advise anyone to, to kind of push into practice now no learn a different technique how is the pushing well let's put it if you're pulling someone and pushing somebody yeah. with intensity into a posture you're actually creating trauma in their body right and you know they feel it they feel like they're getting deep but if you teach them how to reach and and give them direction um I'll find they'll improve much more quickly. Do you not kind of push people into a position then? Or, or do you give a... No, de- no. I'm, you don't push people into positions, I, you know, I assume. And you, is there any, any kind of cause or, or time for a good, um, uh, good old-fashioned deep adjustment? Or I'm assuming maybe you don't. I, I, I don't do it any... No, I don't do it anymore. Um, I find it's much better to... Um, teach them how to reach to their capacity and they can do it by reaching, not by getting 
even in my last backbender, after the backbend, people lay on your back and pass you no tennis. And you know, I don't even do that anymore. I get them to to you know, to push their hands into the feet and actually push and create a resistance in the lower abdomen. And this will actually give a greater release on the spine than actually getting flattened out. So, but it's nice to have someone to lay on your back. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't, so you don't push them into a, a position you kind of, I, I, as I remember, you kind of often ask someone to push against you more than actually push them into Yeah. Yeah. Push mm-hmm. against me. That's, that's, that's where you get pushed against me. Then the energy from that push is going to connect through their body to the foundation, to the, the bundles, and that's actually going to create the right shape. I need to get the, the most benefit out of that extension. Yeah. Although I do remember uh, an intense Gander Beridarsana adjustment um, I received <laughs> with you. <laughs> well, your, I don't. I don't do that now. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ends up being able to breathe again, but not for a while. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, was how, how many years ago was that? Was My early years. Six. Your your early years as well. Yeah, um, when I, was that? That was two thousand, and that was in Vancouver, right? Yeah, Vancouver, maybe 2010, 2012, maybe. Oh, yeah. Earlier, maybe, yeah. I think it was even earlier. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. When I was still yeah. in my early 30s. What's your feeling of tradition now? And, and certainly, people are um, a little bit more mixed in their feelings about the tradition. There's been some feeling that it wasn't as old as tradition as it was claimed to be. Um, what, what, have you got you know, basically the series that's being taught comes from Patabi Joyce. Right. Uh, the tradition would come the tradition would come from Krishnamacharya. He was so clear was, at the time, or did, at the time when you had it, just to clear something up, did he claim that it'd come from further back, or did he say that he created it, or how was how did that go? No, I think um, just looking at what Krishnamacharya was teaching and what Patabi Joyce was teaching in, in the basic vinyasa approach and, and the bandhas. Um, if you again look at Yoga Makaranda, uh, you have that book, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I'll send you. I'll send you a copy. I have a copy from uh, Alex Mandan, mm-hmm. Indian. You know, Alex. Indian. Yeah. 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 So he did a translation, which from the original text. And so it has something in it that uh, Deskachar didn't put in. It's a curriculum at the back. It's all the postures in the series. So he has that. So if you look at that, you can see it's a very similar, quite similar at the beginning to what primary series is. Um, but you can see the sequencing in the vinyasa is there in that book. And all, you know, all the vinyasas right. are there. So it does come from Definitely. Have, have you seen that copy? I haven't seen that copy, no. I don't okay, so I'll, I'll send it to you, have it. Yeah. Other, people people other people are saying, that, you know, Alpatabi Joyce completely made it up, the Krishnamachar was teaching a different thing. I mean, I think in my last interview, I have to no, say... No, 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 this, from this book from um, Krishnamachari, the vinyasa is definitely there. Mm. It's, all, it's there, for sure. So it, it comes from, um, from Krishnamachari. And he, I think he made it up. It didn't come from the Yoga know, Karanta. And, right. Uh, okay. so. so the vinyasa, which means the upward dog, chaturanga, downward dog transition. And um, no, 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 no. It means the number of movements in the posture. Okay. All, right. the, all right. the movements. Right, okay. 
account. So itself. It's, you know, vinyasa is movement with the breath. Yeah. So, and Patabhajua says, do not do yoga without vinyasa. Right. So he's saying, don't do yoga without breathing. Mm. And, um, you know, and that's just what I work on. You're breathing. Everything is breathing. You know, every movement is breath. Everything is breath. Yeah. What about and the actual, movements, the actual sequence what, itself? What What about the sequence? I mean, well, how the sequences about that personally? How how how? I mean, you teach the traditional sequence still, right? And is there a time when you might modify that for someone, or or what's the benefit of following the traditional way? You know, because obviously that changed when it was originally taught to you. It was slightly different and. I feel if someone's going to go to a Mysore practice, there, you need to follow this tradition and that's otherwise people turn it into vinyasa practice, flow yoga. Right. And that's, that's what happened. People were, you know, oh, that posture's too hard, let's leave that one out. Oh, I like to do this one, that pull it in. And so it didn't become the, the, the practice of primary series. So I think it's important that we keep that practice we keep all the postures there saying that i don't mind putting modifications so i right. keep the posture there but i'll modify it for the, depending on the person you wouldn't take it completely out you just keep no i would keep it keep it there and right. and uh, um, find a modification for it um, what about i mean just like a classic question someone gets stopped in reach asana d they can't bind um, you know, they, they practiced with you for a while, say. They practiced, then, you know, a stiff guy, you know, came to yoga late. Um, what, what, what's your advice? Would you carry, would you let them carry on? Would you give them more postures? Would you modify that or would you just stop them there? What, what, what? No, I'd continue, I'd continue to give them more. Right. Yeah, you know, I don't want to stop somebody uh, because, um, yeah, as you said, they can do it late in life or maybe they just don't have the flexibility. And, yeah, why stop them there? They, you can modify it and then give them more. You know, I never saw Batabi Joyce. Um, these these are the old days. He would have yeah. it was a three month three month curriculum to learn primary series as a beginner. Everybody learned it in three months. and he would put you in the posture, or try to put you in the posture, but you learned the series. So. Three months. Yeah. So and he would even when he was teaching us, we didn't always do the postures before we were given the next one. We were learning. You have to do the postures and exactly, you know, you have to bind the Marichasana D, for example, to, you know, to complete it in three months or could you keep it modified? And he would allow people to keep it modified. Right. Hmm. So he, he didn't stop them. You know, I just, you know, somebody was, like you said, stiff, older yeah. in life, the primary mm. series is there. But even with that, like I was saying with us, we would, we didn't have a, Past your master before we got the next one. You know, we could learn more, and then that would help us learn the ones he taught us earlier. So, right. So, going further forward would give you some extra opening and flexibility to work towards the master. That's the way he was working. You know? Right. So, the original way he was working was a little bit different. But to the way. Again, mm. you practice every day. Right. You know, we practice six days a week, and the moon days off, we were there every day. You know, if somebody's coming in, not every day, they come in every now and you know, twice a week, couple of, every now and again. Of course, you're not going to just keep progressing and hold them back. So they need to have a good foundation before you give them more. So you've got to make sure the foundation. Yeah, the foundation looks foundation. Like more about steadiness rather than actual ability. Steadiness, breathing, 
um, yeah. strength to do things. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I think one thing I know about you, and I think you know, it's kind of forgotten these days, is that yoga is for the individual. And um, I think a lot of people encourage that that everyone can do all things. It just takes a question of pushing or or enough practice, and then you know, the idea that all is coming. What What do you think about? that <laughs> should wake up they should wake up a bit everybody is different everybody yeah. is different you know some right. people are just born with flexibility um and some people just don't have any flexibility at all and i think it's yeah, refreshing not- to hear because i think that often we're encouraged to believe that it's just something in us that's lacking that we can't do the thing that if we push harder try harder do more then we'll get it yeah we as I keep, as you were saying, with individuals, we have different, first off, different bone structure. Yeah. So, so this is a big thing. If a bone is a different structure, and if you look at women's pelvises, you can see how the greater tachanta fits into the pelvis. Even the men, this is going to make a huge difference with what's happening in the hips and being able to do the lotus or not. So if, if bones are touching and pushing together, you can't. Can't go through that. You can't. There's no more flexibility going to come. Mm. If uh, you know, if it's uh, tendons and muscles, if this can extend. These these you can slowly and gradually open. Them. But quite often, somebody is just the shape of the bone. Right. So, and again, it can be tendons. It could be tightnesses in the body. Um, again, a lot of people are trying too hard. The tightening muscles is making it difficult, rather than lengthening muscles. So what is what is the right hard trying? You see what I mean? What what's the right intention towards it? And how do you progress without pushing? I think we're kind of circling around this a bit. Uh, well, I, you, it's the, the method of pushing. Right. Okay. So it's not learning to push, it's to push but to reach. So right. you're still trying to go as deep as you can. Mm. When you're bending the legs, don't Tighten the muscles. Don't. I don't even lift my leg up. As soon as, cause as soon as you lift your foot off the floor, the quadricep muscles engage. And then when you start to bend the leg, you've got contraction of the muscles of the knee. So I generally use my fingers on my hand underneath the knee and slide my foot back. And right. so this will soften. So this will open, keep the hips soft, the groin softer, the knee soft. Then you can get more flexibility. But if you're contracting muscles, they expand, they take up space, and then you lose the ability to get the extension. So you don't think that someone, I mean, there's a lot of people training outside practice to get stronger, to build up strength now, um, you know, posting different tips for that. What do, you, what, do you think, what do you think about extra training, extra strength training? I think if you're doing Ashtanga yoga and you're doing it every day, I think it's enough. It's enough, you don't need anything else. You don't need anything. If you're doing the chaturangas you, and you're moving and you don't stop moving, uh, you don't, you know, like quite often people are stopping. They want to get in the posture. They take a few extra breaths. Mm. You know, this is something we didn't do with Pitabha Joyce. He wouldn't let us eat. We'd stop and say, jump back. So, so right. come out of a, it was a, so everything we learned was don't stop, continue breathing. So, and we, <laughs> We got very strong you know, mm. from from the practice. Even Joanne was somebody who, you know, was not a strong person, 
was doing incredibly beautiful oh, yeah. arm balance. Right. So yeah. And it was just from practice every day. So I think I remember her saying he used to come and lift a toe. He would start by lifting a leg, lifting her up, and then eventually come there and just have his finger on the toe and then take it you know, so slowly, slowly over a period of time he would he would teach her body which muscles she needed to work. I don't think I ever asked you whether you actually saw Batari Joyce demonstrating himself. I've seen him demonstrate three postures. Um, well, two postures plus Sarana Muscava. First one was uh, he demonstrated headstand. Uh -huh. So I saw him do that. And the other one was the exit from Virabhadrasana, which I've never seen anybody do. Because he just lifted, he didn't put his knee on his arm, he just lifted right. into this Ekapatabakas and without any support of the arm, he just lifted and held it and jumped back. This is when he was 65 years old, so I've never forgotten that. Wow. It was an amazing, amazing thing. I've, I, I've, I've never done it. You know, I can jump a little bit, but he just... just oh, like a plant. Lifted. Like a plant. He just was yeah. there and lifted. It was amazing. And the other thing was at one stage... Um, there was an actor, a famous Connecticut actor in coming to take a class, um, a lesson. And it was after we'd practiced, so I was leaving and he was teaching this actor and the actor had no idea what to do. So he gradually demonstrated surrounding the scar. So, so yeah, isn't that amazing? This guy here who's, who had these thousands and thousands of students who never, nobody ever saw in practice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah what an experience. What an experience. I mean, um, talking about the strength stuff and, you, you know, building up strength, and I always admired the strength you have. Um, is there any tips? I mean, people always want to ask the question, is there anything else? that um, is, is always a diet question. Do you, do you have any tips on maintaining a healthy diet? Well, I'm vegetarian. I basically I'm eating twice a day. Um, so I, I don't know what time it is now, but you generally start to eat around about uh, after 11, 12 o'clock because that's when I finish my practice. And then I eat it uh, just after sunset. Right. So I eat twice a day. But it's a vegetarian diet. I try not to eat too much. Mm. If you eat too much, you're nice, you know, put on weight and it's harder to, to lift up. So like I said, when I was trying to do that handstand, I was in an uh, Ayurvedic retreat center, which was more like yeah. a relaxation home. And the big thing they had there was food, the best pannier I've ever tasted. And best food I've ever tasted. We, we actually went in there and, and the longer we stayed there, the higher our cholesterol went up. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it was actually, it was actually getting worse and getting better, but it was yeah. it was a good rest. And but in the middle of that was my birthday, and uh, I tried to lift up the hands, and it was just too much food in my stomach. So, well, yeah, you were posting it every year though your handstand lift, weren't you? You've not done that this this last year. I, I did it, but I did it from um, like a, from the Zayavedi <laughs> Center, and I only lifted up once, so it didn't get spread around too much. Right. Uh, I think people like me to go up. Come down and lift oh, yeah, yeah, you have to. <laughs> yeah, that's what I didn't do. I'm so. waiting for seven. When's your birthday? I'm waiting for 72. Yeah. Um, then November. So. No, right, okay. Not long. So. Get ready. Yeah, I'm, I'm, like I said, I do handstand every day. So. Less, less paneer. Um, 
Yeah, I don't have any pain here. here. Pretty fast. <laughs> and obviously, you've practiced many, many years. Um, any ideas on how you kept your inspiration up or your kind of uh, encouragement, ways of encouraging yourself to continue that daily practice for people? Because I think the hardest thing is just keeping on doing it day in, day out, especially if you feel like you're plateauing and people want to see progression, you know, they do. Um, and how do you keep it up, you know? Well, first off, stop looking for progression. Right. You know, or, or look at different ways of progressing. Don't, don't mm. look at the how deep you're getting in the back bends because mm. you're going to lose this anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, my, uh, like I said, uh, you continually want to be self-studying. You can continually want to observe what you're doing and look for more subtle things in, in what's happening in, in the practice, not, not the flexibility part, but more what's happening with prana, energy mm. that's inside and um, take up a pranayama practice and that'll give you you know less emphasis on wanting to do yoga asana you'll think more about pranayama um, right. what i talk about in in when i'm teaching is i say that uh, asana will get you to the door so mm. you get to the door of asana but if you want to get in you need the key and the key is pranayama Really? So so that, that's not enough. You need to do pranayama. You, you need to want to get in the pranayama. Even, even, even a beginner, you would teach. Well, a beginner is going to, you know, a beginner depending on, you know, a beginner is going to be more into asana. You need the stronger body. But, right. Uh, you know, pranayama never interested me that much when I was doing asana. That was a big thing, asana, because that's, we're all the Ashtanga group of fish all swimming around, all the Ashtangas and they're all, you know, doing our thing and how good we are. Um, and pranayama is more an individual thing. You can't really show off about it. You've got to right, sit okay. Okay, I see. Yeah. And so it, uh, the interest was there and maybe I was pushing, like I said, trying to push too hard. Um, but now I'm doing this pranayama practice with technique right. and it's and then you go with again i'm pushing as much as i can but the thing is you only go as deep as you can mm. but stay there keep going and then you see progression same in the sun you keep doing it you're going to progress and uh, like what, i said stop ronnie armors for for uh, someone who's you know a, a kind of beginner they've maybe done it for a year at that point would you introduce prani armors or do you wait for each i introduce try and introduce prani armor when i'm teaching first when i'm doing workshops first day because this is the basis of the practice. I, the first things I teach when I'm doing workshops are um, Norley and yeah. Kapalabhati. Right. So, so Norley and Kapalabhati both have to do with Banda, Kanda, the Kanda, the lower. I lower when it was first taught, you know, in the Ashtanga, I remember kind of learning it in the kind of late 90s, and then they always got the Nauli almost before the class. I think we'd often stop. Well, it's, well, it, it's a cleanse. It's a yeah. shak karma. Yeah. So it's meant to be done before you go to class, before you practice to help eliminate toxins. And mm -hmm. but when, if you do it correctly, what's actually happening is you're starting to learn the connection of the bandha. And I'm always saying dantian because that's because I'm teaching in China or, or kanda, but you're learning where to work and this is the basic of your jaya breathing. So once you get this, then from working from there comes your jaya breath. 
So that's the first thing I start teaching. And then I'll add just a simple breathing in, breathing out, but over a a particular count and add some kumbhaka and um, alternate muscle breathing. So this is over a a couple of weeks. I'll start teaching this in my workshop before we even start doing the sun. Right. Usually it's said, um, oh, you know, someone needs to build up the strength for the pranayama or, you know, pranayama kind of sends you a bit crazy or, you know. If you're doing the pranayama from Patabi Joyce right, okay. and, you're, and you're pushing, yeah, this is a very, this right. is a very difficult pranayama. And so I think the crucial point of differentiation is that, you know, the, anyone can start pranayama. It just depends on your attitude towards it and what actually you're learning in terms of breath holds. So yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, you just do the best you can. Yeah. If you're, you know, your capacity is a six-second inhale and a six-second exhale, that's what you do. And you build up to eight seconds. And, yeah. And, and more six and 12. And six inhale, 12 exhale. And then you add Kumbhaka after inhalation. Kind of hits on, on your approach kind of most generally is that it's a graduated, kind of pragmatic approach you know, kind of taking the individual where they're at, which is, I think, why I really resonated with it. Thank you. Um, I think that we've almost run out of time now. Um, I just wanted to give some, give some kind of idea of um, listeners, some kind of idea of, of, uh, of who you are. Um, so what, what kind of, just outside yoga, what kind of stuff do you like? To, I know, I think it's surfing you're probably going to say, isn't it? You're, oh, surfing is, like Joanne says, the older you get, the more you want to be like a teenager. Right. So, you know, I used to surf as a teenager and I came to Costa Rica and started surfing. Now I live in this beautiful place that has surf nearby. And so this is what I do. Whenever the tides are right, the surf's right, I'm surfing. Yeah. Do you, I mean, any inspirations or reading material that you recommend? or just, uh, uh, Basically, I'm fictional books. I'm reading some... Uh, books to do with Shiva, um, but basically my reading is the, the Gita, um, Yoga Sutras. Right. So this, I make sure I read uh, some of that every day. Right. So I read mm. some of the sutras and some of the Gita. You know, and, mm. and take it as part of the Kriya Yoga practice is to read a chapter of the Gita. The Gita. So it's the practice we should read the show. Rereading and rereading it, do you? Rereading and rereading and rereading. Right. So. Some days it just goes through, but some days you pick up on one line with an understanding. Just be a lovely ending if uh, you had one particular um, sutra or uh, um, graph that you liked particularly in the Gita, for example. In the Gita, it's it's two. It's where it says uh, what initially is like nectar at the beginning can turn into poison. Yeah, I know. Something that's enjoyable can turn into poison. And what seems difficult at the beginning yeah. will turn into nectar. So this is talking about, you know, practice. If it's difficult and hard, and then it gets gets better. Yeah. And, yeah. and take the easy like way the, out. The like the the the, uh, the verse afterwards that said, or something can be kind of the tamasic can be bad at the beginning and bad at the end. Or something. Yeah, 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 exactly. Oh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that's yeah, that's that's probably the one I remember the, okay. the most. So when I use because it can describe how we go about our practice and mm. you know and we've got to just keep working at it. You were saying about people who get what's the motivation to keep practicing? Yeah, you just you just got to keep doing it and let it turn into nectar. So it could be bitter at the start, 
doesn't yeah. stay, stay that way. Yeah. yeah. So on that note, thanks very much for joining me, um, Darby. And um, I look forward, hopefully, let's put on a workshop on something soon.